Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Welcome to the Gate World Podcast. This is episode 132. My name is David. I'm Diana. This week we're going to talk about Becoming Infinite. Kind of a vague episode title, but we'll be getting into it a little bit more as we go forward. Diana, how are you? I'm great, David. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm doing well. How is your uh, nightly project? Nightly project, day and night. We just spent the last two and a half days... Wow. And we shot uh, 17 and a half script pages of Epilogue, the web series, and uh, I think that I've run out of adjectives and adverbs to discuss how excited and thrilled and proud I am of all of these student filmmakers, from the directors to the costume supervisors to just the actors, everybody. It's, uh, you know, all I can say is watch out Hollywood. Mm. What is it like to see something that you've spent so much time thinking and writing about uh, appear morph off the page? The thing that makes the, this medium so different from writing a novel is that, and they both have their upsides and downsides, is that in a novel it's between you, your editor, the publisher, and that's it, you know? Whereas uh, in the visual medium, it's all about collaboration. It's all about hoping that putting all your sweat and blood into creating the thing mm-hmm. as a script and then watching as people take the ball and run with it and add a whole other level to it. I mean, there were several instances this weekend with the directors where each each of the two directors, Erica Blame and Adam Wagner, where I walked up to them and I said, okay, you just won the Emmy for directing for this scene because they took what was a small but important beat in the story and just elevated it to this incredible level with the actors and the and the cinematography. Mm. And you're just sitting there going, oh, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the joy of collaboration. And, I mean, even, like, George Lucas on Star Wars got this, the first Star Wars, A New Hope, when, I mean, he got how valuable it was to have all of his crew contributing to the overall film. He gave profit participation points to... The craft service guy, the guy who basically has the table with all the munchies on it in A New Hope because he knew that everybody was bringing their A-game and making what was really great incredible. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a joy in that collaboration that uh, it's better than chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, good. I um I am riding my motorcycle. I think I mentioned a few yes. weeks ago um, that I w- I had gotten you know training and this and that and gotten myself a bike and I'm I'm officially on the road. So I'm going to be taking it into work tomorrow. So I'm really excited to go to work. Literally, <laughs> I, I I want video. I want video of yes. me on the motorcycle, and I think all the listeners want video too. Oh no no oh, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> It's an 800cc, um, I ended up getting a different bike, it's an 800cc uh, BMW, so. Very cool. Very nice. Very, very cool. I mean, and the other thing is, 
you know, I've been thinking all week about this topic we're going to talk about, thanks to, in part, to this uh, Christopher Christopher Smith, who sent us a uh, wonderful suggestion for a podcast on singularity. But we'll be getting to that in just a moment. You have seen Awake. Yes. Oh, God. Tell us yes. about what you think of that. If you're not watching Awake, you're asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, seriously, I think right now this is the best character-driven science fiction that's on the air. Um, I want to say it's unfortunate that it's NBC because NBC has uh, let its viewers down so much in the last few years that a lot of people are cautious and are afraid to watch it because they're just convinced it's going to get canceled. And I would have to say my response to that is it's okay. Just take it episode by episode. It is that strong. Jason Isaacs is brilliant. Fantastic actor. Uh, You don't even see Lucius Malfoy. You don't see him. Not at all. You see a totally different, very sympathetic protagonist who is multi-layered, deep, dark, profound. Um, And, you know, at first blush, it may seem like it's a police procedural, but it's not. Because if you stick with it for one full episode, you will see that every single frame and every single story beat and every clue and every uh, mystery that he has to solve really is pointing to the bigger mystery of why is it that he, after this horrific car accident, when he's awake, he is with his wife and his son is dead, he closes his eyes and then he's awake in another reality where his son is alive and his wife is dead. Mm-hmm. And it's it's brilliant and it's and it's quite powerful. Lost mm-hmm. fans will love it. Mm-hmm. I've been looking forward to this thing for quite some time now, so I'm thrilled that it's finally on the air. The main discussion. We got a message from Christopher a few days ago. It was actually sent to Darren, and Darren passed it on to me. I just uh, want to read it here. Um, there is a point in science we're coming upon called the singularity. It is the point when all the sciences allow the human species to become something new. For example, anti-aging drugs, nanites, growing replacement organs. All this will cause us to be practically immortal. As a species, do we want this? What are the consequences? What happens to marriage and family when till death do us part is eternity. We'll also be able to build artificial intelligence that will rival the human brain in 10 to 20 years. Some of us think it's faster than that. Science fiction has shown us that this could be a good or a bad thing. All of this technology together is called the singularity, and it would be a fascinating subject to discuss in the podcast. Well, we're discussing that today. Um, you know, I think about uh, Isaac Asimov's story, The Last Question. Do you want to give a brief rundown of that, Diana? Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's actually quite an old short story, The Last Question. Um, and it deals with uh, computers and then supercomputers and how uh, at first we're, we are quite reliant on it. And then we get to the point where we are the computer. And at the same time that this is going on, of course, computers require a lot of power and a lot of energy. And while we're utilizing that energy, we have classic entropy going on to the point where uh, we become the superconsciousness, and entropy has come to its maximum, and there's only one place to go, but again, the Big Bang, and start back at the beginning mm-hmm. with Let There Be Light. And Not by design, it, it, just, it just kind of happens. You know, well, this, this is the direction that has to go. It's inevitability, absolutely. So. Absolutely. And, you know, 
we had promised the listeners in the last podcast that there would always be six degrees of Stargate, and it's so easy to have your mind jump to if Stargate Universe had continued mm-hmm. where it was going in regards to that background noise radiation pointing to the beginning of the universe, to the Big Bang. It was Bang. certainly my theory, or a big chunk of it. Yeah, mine as well, so absolutely. We this way. Absolutely. But, I mean, what Christopher is talking about is not necessarily, you know, the, the end of the, uh, the the human race or the, the beginning of a new race. He's talking about, you know, things that that transform us along the way. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the light bulb, you know, was, was, was a big part of that. You know, something like... Um, I don't know if you've seen uh, the Morgan Freeman series through the wormhole, but I mean, they talk about being able to extend life, you know, and things like that. Uh, you know, these, these things could, you know, revolutionize humanity in many different ways. I mean, they could, they could help us, they could destroy us. You know, um, I think one of the things that, that defines us as human beings, you know, whether we realize it or not is our mortality, you know, if we became a species that didn't die, um, I think it would change our interactions with one another because life wouldn't necessarily be as precious as it is. It wouldn't be as meaningful. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that is a very valid point. Um, to, to backtrack just a little bit to help the listeners understand the origins of the term singularity, it's actually referred to as technological singularity, and the term was coined by science fiction writer Werner Vinge, and he argued that artificial intelligence, human biological enhancement, or brain-computer interfaces could take us to this point of greater-than-human intelligence, but that could also imply uh, life extension, or even the fact that every, I mean, if you really want to go crazy with this, that every second that we experience would have far more um, it would be more experienced than we do now. I mean, a second is a second is a second, as is a minute, unless you live in the movie Inception. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, I mean, listen, I mean, this is the great argument of when does um, evolution of a species stop being about biological evolution and start being about technological evolution? I'm sure everybody mm-hmm. knows somebody who is alive today thanks to either a pacemaker Mm-hmm. or um, having something been caught early. I mean, for women, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, and I'm going to get a little graphic here, but like, for instance, a women have their pap smears to, ca- to catch precancerous mm-hmm. cells so that this 15-minute procedure, that's all it takes in a doctor's hospital, mm-hmm. get rid of them, and the women can go on to live a great life. The old days didn't have that. I've been fascinated with EMP for some time now. Um, you know, and if, if we were, if, if we were hit with an EMP, um, within two weeks to a month, nearly 10% of those alive would be dead. Uh, there are so many of us who are alive now who by rights shouldn't be able to be because of technology, um, refrigeration, you know, electricity, uh, cars, automobile things that allow us to survive even things as simple as insulin you know these things need to be refrigerated if we didn't have that we would die yep. a good 10 percent of us and you know the these this is a, this was been would have been unheard of you know a couple of hundred years ago you know the 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 industrial revolution 
just did a number on on the human species, you know. And in in the last few years, look at how fast things have have gone. You know, these these iPad twos they look like they're out of the twenty fourth century. You know, and now this pretty soon the iPad 3 is coming out. And I have so many friends who are like, oh, got to ditch the 2 and got to get the 3. I'm looking at this. What, 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 what's wrong with the 2? You know, we're just moving so fast and it's it's only going to get faster. Well, then you also get into things like uh, what they refer to as augmented reality, which is the new uh, thing that's going on right now with, uh, for instance, uh, a good example, if you have the Game of Thrones Blu-ray, Mm. is uh, that you can uh, enable it so that in any of the episodes you have this overlay that tracks for you the characters, the history, the plot, and Mm -hmm. you can get more information. And we're seeing that kind of thing, even in simple uh, astrology, uh, not astrology, I'm sorry, (laughs) astronomy, (laughs) astronomy (laughs) applications, where you can hold your iPhone up and it can tell you about uh, yep. uh, what planet you're looking at and give you data about it. Yep. At the same time you have that going on, we are learning more about uh, the human body and even how to, like DARPA, how to read a person's intent based off their body language. So imagine a future where you can have your iPhone up or whatever the technology will be then and you look mm-hmm. at a person who's walking towards you and it tells you they're going to that, that this person wants to kill you or this person's going to take advantage of you or steal your money or this person mm-hmm. this person wants to marry you let's say okay mm-hmm. um like i'm thinking we're moving towards some kind of an ocular interface something that you wear around your ear and that sits in front of one of your eyes right and you know what we're talking about here is this is no longer well, that's really the question. Is this still biological evolution? And by that, I mean, by raising that question, I mean because biological creatures created this technology. Mm-hmm. Whether it be to save a person's life or to enhance intelligence and experience. Mm-hmm. Does it ever reach a point where it's a bad thing? Or is it just a case of a few people using it the wrong way? Like well, the, internet, be- the internet's the perfect example. It changes when the technology becomes more important than the person. I, if I, I, I would stand up and applaud for that. I would agree with that 100%. Looking at Stargate, let's look at SG-1 uh, Revisions, Season 7. That's a very key episode, it's yeah. A very key episode in, in tying into what we're doing. Um, they all have these little, uh, little metal things they can wear above their brow, and it is established very early on in the episode. You can take it off at any time, no problem. But it's instant access to all this information. As a user, you are trusting that this computer is being honest with you and telling you everything. And not adjusting you in any way to make you more, you know, right? to make you more flexible. Or lying to you or rewriting history. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then, of course, as the episode goes on, it becomes a cautionary tale for reliance on that kind of technology. And mm-hmm. I think it goes back to, you know, humanity having a strong enough definition of itself and understanding that we are still separate from technology. We created the technology. It is a tool. It is not our master. Mm-hmm. And how, from a philosophical standpoint, we can continue to stay aware of that is 
you know, it remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. But even Stargate Universe, listen, they are on that ship, Destiny, and they are learning how to use that technology to sustain themselves mm-hmm. as they go forward. It's the only way they're going to survive as and, they get to the Big Bang. And the ship itself, we, we began to understand in Season 2, also had an invested interest in keeping them alive. So it as as early as the first episode of Season 2, it was manipulating them to suit its own interests. Well, the perfect example. Look at TJ. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But the perfect example of that, of course, is Hal in 2001. Yeah. I can't do that, Dave. I'm sorry, I can't do that, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, I mean, that was done decades ago, but it was incredibly mm-hmm. insightful on the part of Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the question is, how long do we keep this sense of self versus technology? In the Star Trek episode, Return to Tomorrow, it's the original series, you have these three super consciousness left, these three highly evolved um, people who their war was destroyed by civil war, and they transferred their consciousness into these globes, and they survived there for a millennia until the Enterprise comes along, and their globes are failing. They're the last of their species. The Enterprise wants to help them. So in order to do that, these consciousness have to go into Kirk and Spock and this one guest star, and uh, who, in fact, went on to play the second Doctor on Next Generation. And mm, Pulaski. Yep, I am all there. And in that time, they realize that their human urges are too strong, coupled with their super hyper-intelligence. Because they're, they're, now they're trying to kill each other and outwit each other, and they're using the Enterprise crew as their pawns. And so they basically end up having to commit suicide because it's just too much. It's too much, uh, too much of the base human urges coupled with hyper-super intelligence. So it would be like if somebody came down and gave us like all of the technology of the ancients right now. Could we, ha- yeah. could we handle it? I think that's one of the things that the Asgard always warned us about, or at least at the very mo- at even the Tolan, you know, they were saying, you know, if we hand this stuff over to you, what, what, what's going to guarantee that you don't start using this on your fellow nations? You know, these weapons. Um, well, I think we are too governed by our self interests to actually be trusted to handle, you know, the power of the universe. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. Yeah, we are still slaves to our base impulses, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is, the, I think this is one of the things that a lot of us were interested in with the third Stargate movie was that it was allegedly going to be about uh, disclosure to the mm-hmm. world of the gate. And mm-hmm. one would argue um, that, you know, if there are really aliens, for those who do believe that we've been visited by UFOs, they believe that the government holds this back from us because of this 1961 document that was handed over to Congress from the Brookings Institution that stated that if our astronauts go out there and they discover something, we can't let the public know they can't handle it. Hmm. And that was based off what happened with the anthropologist Margaret Mead when she was with the Samoans, and just her presence there observing them destroyed their culture. Mm-hmm. And, Col- and Congress and the Brookings Institute were terrified that even just 
a glimmer of knowledge of there being something out there beyond us would destroy mm-hmm. our culture. Well, you have, and I, I am, I am a person of faith. I have a predefined idea of what I believe in, but at the same time, you know, I am willing to be flexible about some about certain things. But I know a lot of people who aren't, and if there was validation, concrete evidence that what those people believed didn't exist because of what had been discovered, I can see how a lot of people would be very self-destructive. And you know, that could be very detrimental to a society. See, you know, and, I, yeah, and I can't, because I was brought up with a balance of science and faith, I have a hard time understanding why would that affect a belief system? In fact, wouldn't it even make it more um, awesome, in a sense, that we're not alone, that, uh, I mean, to quote Carl Sagan, it would be a terrible waste of space. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the things that I loved about the movie and the book Contact, is Mm -hmm. that it explored science and faith, with its message really being that science, in its own way, is really just another religion. It is yeah, but see, that's how truth. you were raised. Yes, yeah, I that's, agree. That's how you I were brought agree. up. You were brought up to ex- to be re- to be prepared for a singularity such as that. Yeah. You know, where yeah. you know we were where where we discovered that there was something bigger out there. But there are people in this world who would be shattered to 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 learn something like that, and who wouldn't want to go on. Because they had believed their entire life that this was that this is the way it is that this is where I'm going, you know I'm content in that knowledge. Don't rock that boat, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, but the irony with that is, how do you explain Ezekiel with the UFO? I mean, if you look at the early drawings of that, and if you read that passage in the Bible, you know it 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 kind of looks like a UFO, okay? And then look at um, in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, they fly out on, you know, on spaceships. They literally are spaceships that they fly out. This exists in almost every culture, this, mm-hmm. this hint of ancient astronauts. I'm not saying that I buy hook, line, and sinker, the Eric Von Donegan concept of ancient astronauts. But I, It's compelling, though. It is compelling, and it does make you wonder. And I, and I do think that God is greater than just the planet Earth. I think mm-hmm. I really do. I, I think it, it is. Far, I mean, I think it's far greater than that. So I am. I'm. I find it fascinating. And if we need to evolve more, just like in Contact, at the very end of Contact, the aliens tell Jodie Foster, "You're not quite ready yet. You're getting there. <laughs> you're getting there, but you're not quite ready yet." Yeah. And that's why when she comes back, it's debunked. Her, her talking with them is totally debunked because we are not ready yet to exec, accept that possibility that the universe really is this magnificent creation. And not just mm-hmm. that Earth is this magnificent creation. Mm-hmm. So, but I think, you know, going back to the whole question of singularity, um, we had, you and I talked the other day about, we were talking about evolution and the, the potential dangers of genetics genetic evolution in the sense that um, what side can you come down on when there are babies whose lives are saved by having open heart surgery when they're born that should have died, Mm. okay? And then they're passing that genetic along. 
You know, I mean, and that's a very disturbing, ooh, I'm squirming conversation, but it's a, a valid thing to be looking at is how is evolution and reliance on technology not only helping us as a race, but potentially hurting us, mm-hmm. you know, and there is no right or wrong answer in here. There, mm-hmm. there absolute, I don't feel that there is, but, yeah. you know, it's worthy to be aware of where you're going. When you get on your motorcycle and you drive, your eyes are open. Mm-hmm. Our eyes need to be open and we need to be aware. I have a friend who is who is legally blind, but he's able to um he's he's able to see his computer monitors by looking like about an inch away from them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh uh his uh he's an amazing guy, but his his case is genetic and he has a little he has a son who, you know, who's like 3 or 4 years old who also has, you know, that that same uh that same condition and he has had he has had tons and tons of eye surgery one of his eyes is fake you know is and is always falling out of his head oh my and gosh his, his son is his son is coming into coming into his his room at you know four or five in the morning dad i lost my eye i lost my eyes and they have to and his his own father who cannot see is 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 crawling around the floor trying to find his eye you know that's that's fallen out of his head you know I myself, and I have, I have to ask myself this, you know, could I bring a person into the world to suffer, you know, uh, uh, along with, uh, with the things that I myself have to suffer with, you know, and that was, that was the conversation that you and I had. It mm-hmm. was like, you know, this is kind of, you know, I don't know if we should be going down this road. This is kind of a squirmy kind of discussion, but you know, I mean, that's. Well, you know, but here's the we, upside. Here's the other side of that coin to look at. Let's look at autism. I have a nephew who's. So yeah. severely autistic, it's it it it's sad. Your first reaction is it's sad, but that's not genetic, but, is it? Yes, it is genetic. It is. Genetic. Oh, absolutely, it's genetic. But here's the deal: I have I know several autistic people who, in one particular area, they are so extremely gifted, and they have mm-hmm. contributed to society. I mean, look at Stephen. Look Hawk. at Stephen Hawking. Yep, exactly. Stephen Hawking. He's not autistic. It's Lou Gehrig's disease. But, but you take one look at him and you would, not knowing who he was, you would say, oh, this person is not going to do anything. And look what he's done. And, of course, yeah. in his case, it's a degenerative disease. He wasn't born this way. It mm-hmm. came, it, it, it's something that degenerated. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we, there, there are very famous classic pianists who um, are severely autistic. But, my God, the music. I mm-hmm. mean, how that is contributing to the human record is mm-hmm. great value. So who are we to say what defines normal? Mm-hmm. And that's the real question at the end of the day, because when you try to make a judgment call in regards to this whole topic we're discussing, who are you to decide? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's not just about, you know, um, that this person should not be around unless they're going to be able to service everyone. You know, the, I think that there are certain people who are placed on this earth you know, in each of our lives who we are meant to take care of, you know, it's not about them servicing everyone else. It's about us servicing them specifically, you know, um, and finding inspiration in them as well and finding our own humanity. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, listen, we are, we are just a big hodgepot. We are a big stew. That's what humanity is (laughs) with a thousand different permutations in it. And out of that, we're evolving and where that's going, you know, that remains to be seen. Um, I will say, you know, trying bringing this 
again back to Stargate, other than the Tolan and the Asgard and the Ancients. And the Nox a little too. And the Nox a little too. But they were like the exceptions to the rule. That would be one of my criticisms about the franchise overall, overall is I would like to have seen more extrapolations on the, the future evolution versus a regression. Because the regression mm. stuff is fun, like going back to certain uh, ethnic groups, which SG-1 did quite heavily in the early years. Mm -hmm. but for instance, um, the episode where they go to the planet where it's all those men, all the men in white, and it's the plants, and they've hit the plants. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, one false step. One false step. It's not that they were more evolved or even less evolved. They were just so... So different. Different. And I remember watching that episode and sitting up and going, oh, I want more of this. Mm -hmm. And being disappointed that I didn't get more of that. Mm -hmm. So um, that's something that I would love to see if there's going to be a, another offshoot of Stargate. I would like to see more exploration. Um, I mean, the, ob the planet with the obelisk can start universe that species we well that was going somewhere and and just and it got kaput but yeah yeah it's, it's a shame it's a shame yeah. because that kind of stuff is very very cool i mean who are we to us listen if you look at a, a map of the galaxy we are like so out in the sticks it's not yeah. funny you know yeah. so if you do theorize that there are other races out there the likelihood of them being further advanced is fairly high Mm -hmm. I forget the name of the planet, but I think we've recently found a world that, you know, could potentially support a very similar atmosphere to ours. Oh, there's been a few extrasolars at this point. They, they, yeah. They've actually found quite a few extrasolars. Um, there's a terrific series of books, science fiction books, written by uh, uh, author Alan Steele. Uh, it's called the Coyote Series, and I highly recommend them. They're kind of like Robert Heinlein meets Arthur C. Clarke. And uh, a group of a colony ship from our planet... Uh, goes uh, out to Ursus 42 and settles on one of the moons that actually supports life. And it's extrasolar and it has oxygen the whole nine yards. And along the way there, they catch a glimmer of a more advanced species that eventually mm. they meet that's w way beyond our imaginations. And then it turns out that there's other races out there, kind of like Compact. And they've just been watching us from afar. And that seems mm -hmm. to be a reoccurring trope for us. Is this this uh, in fiction? Is this idea that we're backward and we're out there and we're still like barely one step up in evolution and all these? And they're waiting they're to waiting. see how we turn out they're before waiting. they start interacting yeah. with us. How we're going to deal with uh, singular with the concept of technological singularity and with mm. biological evolution and technological evolutions? So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. Definitely the Stargate did a lot of this, with, and we discussed an episode uh, in, in an episode of the podcast. What is ascension? You know, because mm. ascension, you know, it deals deals with this this concept of not this is not a technologically based um, transformation, but an inward transformation where you become. I don't, I don't want to say at peace with yourself, but you you access a higher plane, you know. Based on, uh, and, and I think Stargate Atlantis took kind of perverted this a little bit in the episode Tao of Rodney, where if you think good thoughts enough, you can transform into into an ascended being. Um, 
and uh, a little a little with uh, with Dominion where Adria manages to do it. You know, the 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 idea of of Ascension started off you know in Stargate with someone who is good, who is pure of spirit, can you know can join this higher this higher plane of beings if they're and, willing to let go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's that's Meridian. You know, that is that is the that is the the Omadasala uh, episodes uh, in at the end of season five. That's one of the greatest hours of science fiction is Daniel learning to let go. Daniel just be he can't stop dwelling. You know, he can't, he couldn't save Sharae. He couldn't save Sarah. You know, uh, he can't he can't get over himself. He can't he can't get past himself. Mm. You know, and and finally, you know, he he almost starts to leave, and he's like, "Wait, wait, you can't go." And she's like, "You know, I can't, I can't take you any further. You have to let go." You know, I think that says a lot of a lot about us. Oh, absolutely. As human beings, you know how how I mean the 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 most bitter things that we that we hook onto if we would only just let go. Yep. I think that goes back to what I said earlier about our human urge, our urges, our base mm-hmm. urges are our worst enemy. You know, we just have to get over ourselves. I mean, how many times have you seen the saying that uh, the only thing holding you back is yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's true. The only, con- the only constant in all of your failed relationships is you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, and, and there's this also, we still are, um, for all of our evolution in the last few hundred years, we are still so power-hungry. Um, oh, very. And one would question if the origins of that is part of our um, need to survive. I mean, that's what's gotten us, our species, along this far, is the need to But our to need survive. to control people, our need to control others. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's greed. Yep. Yep. Um, in fact, you know, I mean, I would say, David, for me, one of the greatest lessons in these last few years is for me being, you know, I have my own set of opinions and they're in great contrast to yours and several other of my, ironically, my dearest friends seem to be like on the political spectrum on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I, I'm actually, I love that we have developed this level of trust, you and I and other friends I have, and I feel that that is part of my evolution as a person mm. is mm. trying to understand it and loving the other person even more for it. And I wish we would, I mean, that's really what needs to happen next in evolution is that we have to get past our crap. <laughs> and well, I, think, I think that's what sci-fi does. The best of yes. all, it breaks it breaks those it breaks those things down into some very succinct questions. It's like okay, you know this, all of this other stuff. When you get when you get past all of it, is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you know it's what what, it, what? Why are we here? What is this about? Exactly. You know? Exactly. So yeah, exactly. And this is why um, I think one of for me one of the things that I was so attracted to in Stargate SG-1 was the sense of none of that matters. Mm. It's about survival and freedom. I always Mm. got that sense in many manifestations from, I mean, the Tilk's arc with the Jaffa 
to mm-hmm. uh, just how, you know, I mean, you can imagine Colonel O'Neill would never have survived in the Star Trek world where he had to deal with a prime directive. If you think Captain no. Kirk broken a lot, forget it. Jack O'Neill would have just said to hell with He would have retreated to his cabin by the end of season one. That's right. That's right. He would have certainly have been court-martialed. So, mm-hmm. you know, this was about, you know, what matters most. Yeah. And this is the, you're right, this is what is fantastic about the genre, and it brings people together from so many different sides of the current common level of evolution, because those who are fond of the genre really are looking ahead and are, have a longer view. Well, their ears are open. Yes. You know, they're willing to, they're willing to hear. Yes. You know, it's not all just about me. <laughs> so. It's the longer view. I totally agree. And uh, maybe that's the first step is listening. Well, science fiction is going through a very interesting time in books, television, and film, and all of its different mediums. And um, in some ways, it's being embraced more than it ever was before. I mean, you know, you were talking about Awake, and then there's Touch. Have you seen mm-hmm. the pilot for Touch? I haven't seen that yet. I'm looking forward to it, though. I haven't seen it yet either. Um, I mean, we certainly know Lost was a success. Mm-hmm. Um, there's four big sci-fi movies coming out at the begin at the end of spring, beginning of summer, with huge amounts of money invested mm-hmm. in them. So uh, clearly, the interest is there and looking forward, just as much as it is looking at the past. I mean, Downton Abbey is this huge global success and it's looking back to a simpler time Mm. and it's fascinating to see how people are caught up in it i mean it it has just in between britain and the united states it's got 18 million viewers Mm -hmm. it's unheard of in ratings i mean the the Mm -hmm. second season finale in the united states had 5.7 million viewers Mm -hmm. men which is also sort of a look back had only 1 million view 1.2 million viewers you know, wow. yeah. You wonder why Mad Men stays on the air and Stargate Universe got canceled. Well, it's got someone upstairs who likes it. Yeah, I mean, at the networks. Oh, so. it's the truckload of Emmys that they bring home every year. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, they like the shiny statues. So, <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, there, I would say that you know, science fiction, even like twenty years ago, if you admitted that you read comic books or you liked science fiction, you were like 1% of the population, and most people looked at you like uh, something's really wrong with you, and clearly you need to grow up. And that's not the case anymore. Well, it, you you look at the, the ubiquity of, of Comic-Con now, that influence, you know, I mean, that's that's like the thing, you know. I think I think people are are coming are coming out of their basements, if you'll let me say that, you know, and saying, hey, I'm here. You know, and they're finding others, and that is spreading. You know, that influence is spreading. Well, and as you said, we are living science fiction with our iPads and our iPhones and Mm -hmm. uh, our different surgeries that we're having to do, uh, touch screens, the Internet, wireless network. And, you know, I, I would say if we can all get one more person to just read a few good books or watch a few great films that raise the philosophical questions that we're talking about, if it could become part of the of the modern uh mm-hmm. popular stream dialogue you know i think you have a better chance of everybody's eyes being open as we move mm-hmm. forward so yeah i i've, I've always hearing 
uh, just I'm, almost like every week. You know, I'm, no, I'm not a big science fiction fan, but I loved Lost and I loved Firefly. I know. And it's like, <laughs> then you're a sci-fi fan. Just say it! I know. <laughs> Jeez. It's like we're lepers or something. Listener mail. Hi, um, my name's Dean and I'm from Vancouver, B.C., I've made a, a couple comments previously for your podcast, um, so these aren't necessarily to be included. Um, I mean, you could do so on like a future podcast, but uh, but that's not necessary. Um, now the first point is um, I've just seen the the Sanctuary premiere with Amanda Tapping, and I was wondering if you'd consider if you guys would consider that uh, kind of a successor to Scar- uh, Stargate, and it's probably come up before. I'm sure, like many of the the things that I've I've asked, you know, perhaps have, have come up before, but um, is that something that you guys would do a podcast for? Um, uh, you know, like, for for example, um, uh, I ha- I'm fairly new to the podcast, so I went back and looked at Atlantis Deconstructed, and that answered some of my questions about Atlantis, or Star- Stargate Atlantis. So uh, you guys have covered a, a huge range, like a lot of ground, um, you know, so thank you. Um, the other one was, uh, the question that came up was... Um, how to fund uh, a sci-fi show uh, because you guys have talked uh, a fair bit about Stargate Universe and its cancellation. Um, and I was in the future, like for example, like uh, how, how could Sanctuary avoid Stargate Universe's fate? And um, in talking to a friend, um, I kind of thought that Sanctuary, um, you know, like it's, it had a much lower budget than Stargate Universe. Um, I think Amanda Tapping uh, was a producer and sort of foregone and sort of uh, stepped away from a, a salary, um, and I think Sanctuary also has uh, funding from different groups and sources like the Space Channel in Canada, but um, as well as using the green screen uh, or the blue screen technology to to add CGI um, in the in the editing process. But um, I think the main thing is that Sci-Fi is a major producer for most of the series that have been cancelled, so if there's a way to kind of get around that that you guys can think of, then I'd be interested to hear that. Um, again, those questions may be answered in your other podcasts, but um, anyways, thanks very much. Hi, this is Tyler from the Seattle area, and I was just calling to uh, hope that you guys can pass this info along. Um, Christopher Judge is going to be at Seattle's Emerald City Comic Con March 30th through April 1st. So uh, if anyone's interested in doing a Stargate meetup at some point before or after his panel, I think we should get that going. Then I also wanted to ask a question. This one is mostly for Diana since um, she's involved with the books. And I was just wondering about this new... Everything's on the ebook. What's your thought on the fact that now the um, printed versions are going to cost three dollars more than they used to, and only be available directly from the company? You can't get them at the stores. The reason I ask is because I started reading them in junior high, and if anyone was going to try to read them at that age, now they wouldn't be able to because they wouldn't be able to get them at the stores. So just wanted to ask your opinion on that and how you would overcome that or the uh, or like for me I don't like really buying things online and I also don't have an e-reader so 
how am I supposed to actually read my books unless I have a library get it or something? It's a very valid question. It is a valid question, but um, you know, publishing in general is changing. It's just changing everywhere. And in fact, uh, this, uh, the uh, the U.S. Uh, a, a Attorney General has just launched a suit against five U.S. publishers and Apple for uh, basically uh, affecting the price of books on ebook by locking in certain prices, which you can't do. That's like monopolization. Um, I can speak, I mean, to Fandemonium. Um, you can do books on demand if you really need it. Um, as far as ebook readers, you know, you can, on almost any smartphone now, you can read an ebook, really. And uh, I know several people that do that. Um, and the library is also offering them. And it's not just about business. You know, think of it from an environmental perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, less oil is needed to ship those books to your local bookstore, and uh, there are less resources are used as far as paper and trees to print them. There's a lot of upsides to ebooks, and the mo- I'd say the biggest one is is getting the books out faster to the readers. So unfortunately, it's going to go through a little bit of a bumpy period. And I hope for those of you that prefer the printed version that you'll bear with Fanimonium and uh, go and get the, the printed versions. It's worth it. Those are, you know, those are great books. So it's definitely worth it. Well, Darren, we miss you. Yes. Um, wherever you are, study, study, study. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I look forward to getting more updates on your project. Yes, indeed. On epilogue. Indeed. In fact, uh, in a few weeks, we'll have our first trailer. So we'll be able to announce that. So we can share that with everybody. And I really want everyone who is listening to check out this series. Uh, in the next uh, the next podcast, we will be posting a link to uh, a uh, another Missouri State project called Apollo, which is a film that Diana showed at a convention that she and I went to. Mm-hmm. This will be online so that you can see why I am so excited about Epilogue. You will be able to share in the the caliber of of quality that this that this Midwestern university has been able to kick out so that when Epilogue does finally come out, you'll be like, okay, this is the date I'm going to be there. Um, so this is, this is definitely something that I, that I encourage everyone to see when it becomes available. And we'll be providing that link in the next podcast, episode 133. Well, thank you, David. It's going to be cool. Very cool. Very cool. So, and I'm looking forward to hearing feedback from this podcast. Yes, very much so. So thank you to everyone who uh, calls in. Again, that's 951-262-1647. You can leave a voicemail day or night. And uh, we do appreciate your feedback in the forum and in um, the podcast notes posted uh, each and every issue. So is that all you have? That's all I have. Onward and upward. Indeed, indeed. I'm David. I'm Diana. And thank you for tuning in to another installment of the Gate World Podcast. (laughs) 